Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Alright, welcome back to the new Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or want to learn more about hunting or want to are interested in outdoor pursuits and where we take my experiences as a newer and returning hunter as an adult and try and put them out in the world to make it easier for people to hopefully do the same in their lives. I'm Tony Martinson. And I'm Adam Miller and Tony's being kind of mean to me, so I don't know if I want to record. <laughs> I'm being mean. I'm being practical. Don't be ridiculous. That's not practical. Mm. So what's up, man? Uh, just got done with a nice little training sesh with uh, the puppy. So nice. he is going to be just an awesome upland dog. Is uh, he good? Yeah, he's just, he's an athlete. Awesome. Like How old is he now? Five months? Six months? Six months. And yeah, That went fast. Yeah, tell me about it. And he's just, I mean, you look at him, he just, first of all, he's going to be 30 pounds lighter than my other lab. Who is and, a monster, by the way? Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a great big dog. And I love him. You know, when I first got him, the big one, you know, I, I goose hunted more than I do now. And, like, I usually got into some really, really big geese. Like, yeah. you know, and I thought I needed a big dog to retrieve big geese. Which, you know, it, it helps them, but, um, you know, he's eight now, so, I mean, his joints are starting to hurt a little bit, and he, he doesn't quite have, quite have the giddy-up anymore. Yeah. So, this time, I selected a much smaller breeding. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you look at this puppy, and you, you, I mean, you're just like, and like, when we went to pick him up, now, this is a huge tip for, if you're going to go pick a hunting dog, is... Make sure you can see the male and female parents. Like, make like, sure you can see them together when you pick up your puppy? Yeah, like, you want to see those dogs and see what they look like. Because that's and a good indication of what the puppy Good indication, into. yep. Okay. And, like, his... his Like, with all selective uh, breeding. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, basically, yeah. But his sire, the male, um, that dog, like, it, he looked... He had, like, the chest of, like, a pit bull. Nice. Just huge, muscular... Thing, and he was in his kennel and like this kennel was easily like a six foot tall kennel and this dog was jumping from like a standstill and his back was almost reaching the top of that kennel <laughs> i mean which you know which is not a huge hunting like it's athleticism wonder, but it's just incredible athleticism yeah so i'm really excited about this puppy and and what uh he's gonna bring to the table for for hunting so awesome um, well those psychos over at west side barbell have a saying big isn't strong strong is strong <laughs> yeah and he well he's definitely got a will to him as well but good have um, fun with that <laughs> yeah well he's he's got some growing up to do. like i said he's only five or six months you know and mm -hmm. i haven't fixed i haven't fixed him yet i don't fix my dogs till they're about a year old because okay. i want him to i want him to develop you know they're 
that testosterone doesn't lead yeah. to problems usually until after that. When so you, you grow and develop into an adult dog with that testosterone available, right? Right. So I'm, yeah, he's going to be just great. And if he, if I can get him to calm down, he's going to be an awesome duck dog too. Awesome. So, awesome. You know, which is, you know, my bread and butter. So yeah, for sure. Cool. We, maybe it's a, a subject for another day, but I have, we lost one of our dogs few weeks few months ago but it's a subject i've been thinking about is now i'm gonna ask a question and i know that there are as many opinions about this as there are people on the internet but uh i've been starting to think about what sort of hunting dog i would get in the future and how to best approach that so maybe it's a topic for another day because i think we could get into that for maybe hours um, but it's something I'm thinking about too. So it'll be interesting to talk with you about how this all goes for you. Cause you like labs. You got another lab, right? You had yep, a chocolate um, and you got a black lab. Is that right? Yep. And I'm only, I'm partial labs most partially because my wife grew up with labs and she yep. loves them. So these are kind of my first labs and their, their attitude when you have young kids in the house yeah. is second to none. So yeah. even if you don't have a great hunting dog, you still have a great family companion and right. he's going to let, you know, or she, whatever dog he is, is going to let your two-year-old climb all over them, pull their ears, yeah. you know, without snapping at them, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the flip side of that, though, is there's so, so, so many labs out there now. Like, everybody is yeah. breeding labs in their backyard, so you really need to be careful. If, if you're going to go that route, and buy from a reputable breeder, you know, get, uh, basically do a background check, you know, get, uh, yeah, you know, sure. get references, you know, several years back, you know, if you can get repeat breedings from somebody that has like a full brother, like from mm -hmm. an older litter or full, older, you know, a, a full sibling to the dog you're going to get, yeah. um, that's wonderful insight to have. You, know, awesome. you, you get a good track record of what that dog is going to be. Well, and I'm sure um, any reputable breeder will send you to clients to do your research too, if you really want to. Yeah. And they should offer that information readily. Yeah. Like they should not, well, why do you want to know that? I mean, they should be like, they should have what that do you mean, list. Why do I want to know? <laughs> Yeah, they should have that list ready yeah. to go. So. Okay. I grew up with a German short hair for a, mm -hmm. a time, but mm -hmm. I also want, and I, I would be silly if I didn't get a dog that wasn't also a, a, a retriever in my area mm -hmm. with all the, with especially wanting to get into more duck hunting over water and that sort of stuff. So, um, but also I, one of the types of hunting that I enjoy the most is upland. Like I truly, mm -hmm. I think, I'm a upland game hunter by blood and birth, if you will. Right. So, uh, and that's what I grew up doing most of that in fishing. So I want to still have a dog that'll do that too. And I don't know if there is a good sort of all around breed to go to, but I would like to do a lot more research on that. And it kind of seems like a specialist is a specialist for a reason. And a generalist is a generalist for a reason, you know? That's, so that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But, I mean, you can definitely, I mean, dogs are very trainable. I mean, right. you can usually, um, like a short hair, you know, some of those pointer dogs, they don't make great waterfall dogs just because they're, like, they're swimming in the I cold. I was thinking of wire hair, actually. 
Yeah, I mean that's you get you got to look at the dogs, yeah. um, his attributes as well. You don't want a dog like retrieving ducks over water in November. They're no, not a short <laughs> really, No, yeah. you know, is that you're gonna live? You know, it, it's not that the dog won't handle it, but you know, a lot of those dogs, you know, they they don't get really crippled up in old age. Yeah, no, and I don't want to do that. That's the right. last thing I want to do, actually. You know, it's your it's a pet and a family member first right. for the most part. You know, right, hundred percent. So. so I'll have to do a lot more research about that. Yep, I can point you to some kennels if you're interested in labs, but that's about the extent of it. Right on. I'll have to do some breed research and decide what I actually want before that. So, but that is not going to make me a better hunter, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I learn as much from my dog as 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 much as he learns from me, but it has nothing to do with gadgetry or anything like that. So. Yeah, yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, I was just actually just uh, thinking about that, how nice it is to not be out checking trail cameras. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I've got all these other things to do, and it all takes time. And it's just like, oh, it's so nice to not have to trail. You know, take a Saturday off just to go out and check my trail cameras. Because <laughs> you walked away from setting trail cameras, right? You decided not to do that. Is that right? Yeah, essentially. I, I decided that for a number of reasons. Um one of which is once I knew how the deer moved on the property I hunt, that it had become kind of a crutch that I didn't need anymore. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, it was definitely a good tool. I figured out some things, but then once I decided that, you know, I, I gained all the knowledge I could from those, there was no sense in keep putting them out, spending the time and energy on that rather than doing scouting elsewhere. Yeah, or laying down scent of the places I'm hunting, you mm-hmm. know, disturbing deer, disturbing, you know, changing their patterns even slightly. Yeah, because so every time you go out there to check, you could bump them into a different pattern, right? You can, and there's much to be said. A lot people say a lot of things about that. Is that if you bump a buck from his bed, this is man, that you'll you'll never he'll never come back to that spot, and and, <laughs> and you know, and maybe maybe in some really reclusive spots. Um, that's true. But if it's true for like deer for where we're a lot of the guys hunt now, if they were to get bumped out by every mushroom picker, berry picker, bird watcher, oh, yeah. farmer, you know, hiker, uh, they'd never find a place to lay down ever. Yeah. You never <laughs> hunt deer on public land if that was the case. Yeah. So I just, I don't put a lot so. of faith into that. You know, but you, as you're like, think about it this way, though, too, is that, you know, as you're building that database in your head, of which we've spot, you know, talked about a number of times of, yeah. you know, piece of information, you know, that deer, you know, they don't think exactly like us, you know, but they build a type of database themselves, too. Sure. You know, like, of course, they're know, trying to pattern out where they can be safe. Right. You know, so, and, and, and I don't want people to think that, like, they're, they're, you know, having a like a cognizant thought about, you know, I saw a hunter here once, or I smelled a hunter I'm never here once. coming back, yeah. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he was a male. I appreciate. Sure, I think I think I smelled the hinge of gunpowder. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that's not how they they think, but they do have a, a process essentially. So you know, so you know, it's they have their own form of woodsmanship, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, it's on instinct, but it's the same-ish thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's a good way to think about it. At least, at least that's what 
I think they do. You know, I'm sure there's deer experts out there that'll tell me I'm full of shit, but yeah. whatever. You know, this is these are my observations, and this is what I have noticed about deer and deer hunting. So yeah. So yeah, there's it's very rarely now that there's just getting back to that that gadgets for me are what makes the difference between a successful hunt or an unsuccessful hunt. Okay. So you don't feel like you need the trail cameras, right? <laughs> right. Because you know, right? And that's just another right. thing to get wound up about, to waste time on. Did you right. find yourself like uh It feels like there's a parallel to be drawn about like internet usage and that. Like, do you find it something that you'd like obsess about and go back to and like, oh, I wonder if there's a like obsessing over one particular big buck on there or do you just think that you have one uh enough knowledge to not need it anymore is that it or was it like detracting from other things that you thought you needed to be doing it i don't want to come off of saying that i had an, an enough knowledge now to be successful is that i wasn't gaining anything additional Right. Okay. From, that makes sense. From the gadget itself. It's very difficult all, to say you have enough knowledge about no, the I, movements. No, I'm humbled every yeah. year by. I mean, I I ate um, you know I ate my rifle day last year. I'm humbled every year by <laughs> by the deer in my area. You know, it's yeah. You know, and for reasons I cannot always figure out why I was humbled, but to me it was getting like that real time data or you know was more valuable. So. Yeah, you know, and and in, 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 instead of relying on an internet forum or, or you know, and, and I still do a little bit of that. I'm not gonna lie, you know, but it's, um, you know, or you know, our trail camera. It's it's a lot more fun to figure it out. But just going there. you know, I mean, there's a lot of excitement to putting putting in that SD card and scrolling through pictures, and all of a sudden, you know, a big buck catches your eye. Whoa, you know, but yeah. it's. It is so much more awesome when the first time you see him is like virgin eyes. All of a sudden, he's For just sure. in front of you and working his way, maybe in range, not in range. You know, how do I get this deer closer? Yeah, 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 so, yeah, for sure. You know, and I hunt pretty open country, so you know, a, a good camera has like a fifty foot, you know, uh, range of uh, motion detection. Yeah, you know, so sometimes I can't nail down a travel corridor to fifty feet. You know, they, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot, lot more, more deer out there that I knew were there, but didn't really know, you know, what they were. You know, sex. You know, even species because I hunt crossover habitat. You know, so like when I was, you know, spending more time just getting out in the woods and watching, I was seeing a lot more and bigger deer. You know, and figuring out better like where you know even the whitetails were hanging out in open country there's no place to tra put a uh trail camera there there's no trees you yeah know, they're out of <laughs> you're not gonna hang it off the prairie grass that's for sure <laughs> right you know so yeah it's a kind of i'm tr you know it, it, this is what works for me but getting to a point where i'm focusing more on the woodsmanship than you know the gadgetry I, it's like i've hunted a lot and i can't think there's a couple things that are indispensable, you know, and that's, uh, you know, my calls. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, stuff like that or that actually good move set, the needle, right? Yeah. A good set of binoculars. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that, but like, Oh, there's a, a lot of, even like, 
Like you can go buy a little bottle with uh, has like baby powder and an unscented for a wind indicator. Yeah. You know, you blow that up. I mean, so that's another thing in your pocket. You know, so yeah, gives you a great sense of wind. So does picking up a little bit of dust. Yeah. And you know, send that. Yeah. You know, and the, or even watching you know, the way the leaves fall. Watching the way or you know, another good one I found is tying a little piece of floss to my bowstring. Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> Caitlin, who's been on this podcast before, her mom makes everybody a feather. I think I think this is what she said: a feather like on a string. So you hold up your feather. Or you tie mm-hmm. it to your bow and watch the feather blow in the wind, and that's your wind indicator. Yeah. Or you tie it up in your stand what's, where it's in your sight range, and you just watch mm-hmm. a feather. There you go. Yeah. That's it. I mean, the, the less things that you can carry around, you know, and I know we just went over, like, that pack episode. <laughs> Here's what you should ago. carry. Don't yeah. carry anything. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, you know, a lot of those I could do consider essentials. And right. I actually did miss one thing that I find very handy to have. What's that? It, I think we I don't think we talked about it, but like I buy a little six by eight blue cheap like two dollar tarp. Yes. And yeah, did we, I agree. Did we cover if, that? I don't know if we said bring a tarp, but having a tarp is an indispensable thing to have right. in the wilderness. So I leave it in the package, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's folded really nice and flat. You'll never get it that flat again. Nope. And I'll leave that <laughs> in my pack, and like that is emergency shelter if you really need it for I guess. sure but you also, can ride out like, a storm at least right but what i the first thing i do if i get an animal down the ground in the back country is i start breaking apart i just lay that tarp out put rocks on the corners or whatever and yep. you can just start throwing quarters on there and you keep your your meat out of the dirt yep. <laughs> you know everything you need to stay out of the dirt and that's best two bucks you'll ever spend <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure and then you you can pretty much consider it disposable. <laughs> yeah, and there's a bunch of fancy camping tarps out there, but I haven't found mm-hmm. one that keeps you any drier than the $2 square one, to be honest. Right. <laughs> They'll come in there cool isn't. shapes that look cool, and you can mm-hmm. make a cool-looking tarp pitch out of it, but mm-hmm. it's not going to keep you any drier than the right. $2 square blue one or orange. I have an orange one because I like to right. be able to find where my campsite is easily. <laughs> Right, but I mean that's so that's my usual use for it is for for butchering, and it just it packs away so nicely, you know, and you just leave it in its package, or you can take it out of its package, I guess, but you know, but just never unfold it. Yeah, <laughs> and it takes up virtually no space. It takes up a half an inch or an inch of how wide it is against the back of your pack, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. Yeah. And so. <laughs> yeah. So that's little piece of pack uh, information there, I guess, that we missed. But <laughs> Well, we did spend a bunch of time talking about what you should bring, but I think one thing that we could hammer home a little bit more is only bring what you need to bring. Right. Which kind of goes back to the gadgetry, right? Like, right. There are There is a lot of gadgetry out there, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I love Onyx maps. Like, I've spent mm-hmm. hours staring at Onyx maps, right? But I've absolutely learned the most by just going out there and spending the time, right? You almost have to get over the hump, right, of just doing Mm -hmm. it, of just doing it. And it kind of seems like it's the same with what you're talking about Mm -hmm. with at least your your trail cams is you can look and look and look and look, but it's never going to replace the time, like, 
glassing out there or sitting in a stand and watching what's going on mm-hmm. around you or hiking and scouting and seeing what comes up, right? And doing it mindfully so you're not bumping bucks out of spots they're never going to come back to, but covering some ground and seeing what's out there, right? Right. Well, and it, so my father-in-law has a saying that some fishing lures are designed to catch fish and some fishing lures are designed to catch fishermen. So, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you're chasing like the like the most latest and greatest like thing written for especially gun writers, gun writers are awful. Oh, they love um, it. Got to get that creed more. <laughs> dude. <laughs> it's, it's trendy right now it does work oh but it's trendy God, and i don't work. know how you feel about it <laughs> all right here's the deal folks <laughs> here 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 is the deal all right <laughs> now we're getting down here. to it what do you okay. have to say I'm gonna lead off just differently here okay the 6.3.5 creedmoor is a fantastic cartridge what it was designed to do, though, was design is a long-range competition round. Yep. And it's got it, – so it's an inherently very accurate round with, for people that at 1,000 yards, right. <laughs> they need you know an inch or two better because they're in these giant competitions. So – Here's the deal. The, the Creedmoor had great publicists. It does work. It has a sure. cool name. It works, yeah. If you put that bullet from a 6.5 Creedmoor in the wheelhouse of an elk, it's going to kill it. Yeah, I'll give it that. <laughs> but it's not going to kill it any deader than your standard 270 or 308 or the, any of these cartridges that have been around forever 30 out six old standby right? so here i mean where it really gets interesting here is like most people should not be taking a shot past 100 yards so like yeah. having a gun that could reach out and touch a thousand i mean who gives a shit that it's lost <laughs> on the most most guys you know give me a well-placed 270 round every time the 6.5 creedmoor will not make you a better hunter and here's where it gets really fun is like, so these long range guns are the, they special, you know, guns with, you know, with like a um, pillar and, and, uh, bedded stocks, you know, real heavy barrels. They're like 12, 15 pounds. They're not made for carrying around out hunting. They're made for shooting up a bench. you right. So yeah. that heavy barrel was what gives you a whole bunch of your accuracy. So what, what these manufacturers started doing is putting these these 6.5 creepers, these little pencil barrels on a $400 gun that isn't bedded at all. And, like, <laughs> it, so you lose everything about what it, that makes that round great. Like, that extra quarter inch of accuracy that you're getting is not going to make the difference between that and, like, a tried and true 30 odd six. Because <laughs> so, you're taking away all the mechanics around it that make it truly accurate. It's making truly accurate, and in most guys' hands, it's lost anyway. The six point five Creedmoor will not make you a better hunter. Yeah, so it just it it drives me insane that people are like oh Creedmoor, like it's honestly, I mean, 
You will not find one in my gun cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> it's trendy. It's definitely trendy at the moment. It's, it's trendy. And yeah, it's a super, a super accurate cartridge. But for most hunting rifles, it honestly does not matter. Like it, it just, it gets you nowhere, you know, and that's, if you want to buy one, fine, but you're, it's not going to make the difference between success and failure. It just won't. Unless so, you're in a competition past a thousand yards. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, but then if you were in a, you know, having a, or if you're in a competition doing this long range shooting and you know all this stuff about ballistics and what have you, then you really don't need to listen to me anyway. Right. You're calculating so. <laughs> your ballistics coefficient and all this stuff off of the, yeah. I don't know about that stuff. I've heard people talk about it and it, seems like a world I could get obsessed with. So I try and steer clear because I'm not quite there yet. And I've got a 270 that kills deer pretty dead for me. Right. It just, yeah, it just, it drives me insane that the circle jerk around that cartridge for, for <laughs> hunters that just, like, ah, I mean, you see pictures. Yeah. I killed this grizzly bear up in Alaska, 6.5 Creedmoor. It's like, yeah, you could have done it just as well with an actual bear rifle. <laughs> like, you know, it would have been safer. Because who are you trying to kid here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not much of a Western hunter, and I don't have much experience on, like, the spot and stock. But how common is it to spot out at a distance, a 1,000 yards plus, to spot your individual that you want to put the stock on? at that point like if you're elk hunting or hunting muleys or whatever do you spot out that far oh it's very common to spot them that far yeah okay like that happens all the time but your job as a hunter is to to close the distance to a shot that you're comfortable with you know yeah so you know a, a, a trained hand you know a guy that you know you need to shoot a lot like here i mean yeah that's something i've been working on a lot yeah. personally is doing a lot of shooting Right. So, yeah, you don't, you don't just pick up, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the most accurate rifle on the planet. You don't just pick it up and shoot it and all of a sudden, you know, you can pull off a ridiculous shot. You know, you, you know, it's, you know, the moniker is get as close as you can and then get 10 yards closer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the, what you should be trying to do. You should not be trying to stretch out your shot as far as you can get it. Yeah. you know, for the sake of target practice. You know? Yeah. That seems like it's not probably the best way to approach trying to yeah. take a harvest an animal. Right. Right. Tony, I don't think we're ever getting sponsored. I'm pissing off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on that note, shout out to cousin Jake out there in Wyoming, big fan of the Creedmoor <laughs> reaching out at a thousand plus yards with that thing as far as i can tell i don't know if i go as far as big fan but i've seen some posts about some long shots with that so what's up jake <laughs> but there are many opinions out there in the world and i'm sure you would support the idea of be a good hunter before you try and be a great distance marksman they go hand in All hand right, right? like being a good hunter and being a good marksman go hand in hand but that doesn't mean you got to do it at a thousand yards get closer to the animal learn how it works first right right yeah i mean that should be your ultimate goal especially starting out you know so yeah yeah it's it's funny it's a yeah see any sports i think about buying a rifle what should i get you know, Creedmoor, Creedmoor. first person first person that says creed i want to downvote them into oblivion <laughs> like no 
<laughs> You're an <laughs> asshole, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So that's that's my take on it. So it's just like, I, and here's okay, and I this might still be true, but so up until at least not that long ago, the the like the most deer killingest cartridge out there was a thirty thirty Winchester which was developed a super long time ago. The ballistics are about as unsexy as it gets. <laughs> and like, and it has killed a metric, or not, it's, it's, it's killed a ton, a ton of deer, filled a lot of freezers and fed a lot of families. Yeah. And because that's mostly, you know, and, and part of that is because, you know, what most people are hunting, this most popular big game animal on the, in America is the white-tailed deer, and it is a woods animal. And the 3030 is a woods gun. So it, that makes sense. But yeah. it just goes to show you do not need, you know, this super long range gun to, you know, to be killing a deer. And just as, you know, those guys that were out in 3030s with red plaid coats, yeah. you know, did, did not need. <laughs> We've said that before. Fred Bear hunted in plaid. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like. I've got, like I've said, I've got a 270 because I, if I see a deer at 100 yards where I hunt, it's lucky, you know, in the woods. Mm -hmm. And if you just look at population density maps of America, like wooded areas are where people are, you know, like the mm -hmm. long distance hunting gets a lot of long distance mountain type spot and stock hunting gets a lot of press because it's sexy, right? It's, yeah, you're up in the mountains that you, you can't cheat the mountain, right? Mm -hmm. so it's it's gets a lot of attention because it's sort of the the shit actually it looks awesome <laughs> yeah. but like mm -hmm. it gets a lot of attention but the majority of folks are sitting in tree stands and in the woods usually right mm -hmm. like from what you're saying yeah. with the numbers white tails in the woods are the way it goes you know down south Almost all that stuff and uh and i'm not saying that the woods mountains aren't covered in woods also but uh, and I would love to get out there and do that at a certain point, but I mean, and when I do, and when that time comes, I'm sure I'll have to power up my rifle to get there, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm for sure buying that Creedmoor though, because it sounds awesome. <laughs> I might just buy one just to spite you after this whole conversation and just like talk about how awesome it is forever and make like ridiculous shots with it teach myself distance just to have some fun with it no three boards and crocs man i'm leaving you at camp <laughs> <laughs> and i'll be happy with my crocs my real tree crocs you won't see my feet <laughs> so i think what you're getting at though is a solid point <laughs> is that we've said it before we'll say it again learn to be a good hunter before you rely on technology Says right. the guy who got turkey spots from a mushroom forum on social media, but there's a place for that, right? <laughs> there's definitely a place for that, but at a certain point, it's not going to help you any more than getting out there. Because when I went and scouted those spots and went out there to try and find turkeys in those spots, I learned a lot more than I ever could have from anything other than just going out there and doing it. Right. So that point still stands for sure. For sure, for sure. So, 
Do you have any other soapboxes you want to get on, or does that pretty much wrap up your thoughts? No, I'm I'm, 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 I'm winding down now. <laughs> okay. So probably... Well, tell me about the last time you went for a walk in the woods, then. Um, probably last weekend, I suppose. Uh, a little while went out and one more uh trip out to uh try and find some morels yeah um completely struck out there got more tick bites than i had all spring yeah um, one ticks i hope but i lit so <laughs> no deer ticks good but what i did do was like this is like the one spot I, this is like the fifth time i've walked it and it should be perfect but there's no damn mushrooms is <laughs> it not the and worst it's like a grove I'm, of I'm dead done. elms I'm that burned last year and there's no fucking yeah. mushrooms there right i i'm never going back to it i'm so i'm just i'm just done with it i've had it <laughs> so i know i went and checked another spot again no mushrooms but i found just an awesome spot for uh, this fall, I'm going to be able to do a, like a Missouri River sandbar Canada oh. goose duck hunt on it. Nice. And it's on beautiful piece of public land. Um, I did. And here's a little tip for you. Uh, if you have a spot where you're hunting on a river and you're like, this is a really good spot today in <laughs> June. I see where like, you're going with this. Write down what water elevation that river yep. is at right then. You know, saving your phone or something. So now I know, like, what, you know, because, like, it could very limit access or it could turn the spot to no good, you know, depending on what the, the water level is. So I'm Sandbar's super excited. Too. Yeah. I'm, well, yeah. It, it's the Big great, enough to so, not move around. Well, a river hunt for those types of things is a little different. It's like they have their sandbars, like, they have their favorite ones, but there's also birds just follow the waterway. Yeah, you know, so you can bring them in to those sandbars, oh, cool. even if that's not like their normal, their normal roosting spot. Okay, you know? cool. You can set up so, out there and call them in fairly easily. Yeah, well, it's and you got great visibility. So those sandbars are wide open. Yeah, you know, so you know it had a, but it also had an awesome spot to like good cover where I can hide. You know, it's only about half mile walk. You know, which limits, which takes out most everybody for when it comes to waterfall hunting. Because if you can't drive to it, people don't waterfall hunt it for the most part. For sure. You know, except for me. And that's why I get more birds than <laughs> everyone else. So, Speaking of, really excited read, uh, about that. Setting decoys by moonlight. You can find it on Amazon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got it oh, right this time. Oh, you embarrassed So... Yeah, so I found two spots to never go again for mushrooms, but I found an awesome <laughs> duck hunt and goose hunting spot. So Sounds um, like it's like being a Vikings fan. You're just like, this should be great. I'm just done with it. I can't do it. <laughs> Not again this year. I won't be have this happen next year. Don't you live that evil on me. I'm not a Vikings fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like it's the same thing, though. I suppose it could. Big Twins fan, though, and they are, they're awesome this year. We're going all the way. Uh-huh. World Series 2019. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. As long as we don't run into the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that never happens. So uh, I went out camping with uh, some friends. What's up, Jeff? And uh, my son for the first time last weekend. Like, got him out, like, proper camping in a state forest. So that was the last time we went out in the woods. And uh, we were hearing grouse all around us in our campsite. So... Um, it was a state park, but there's a lot of public lands around there. So I think I'm building that uh, spot to go check out this fall. 
in grouse season. Um, we got covered in ticks also, actually, because we went on a couple of hikes. I found some oyster mushrooms, but um, we were down by the St. Croix River between here and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and uh, they it was on the river bottoms, and I think it was flooded out like the week before, and we walked through some tall grass about up to our knees, and we picked dozens of ticks off of us, wood ticks. Mm-hmm. And it was that time of year, but um, that noise I described and I think it was maybe even our first podcast ever about how uh we heard it in our tent in the boundary waters. That's a ruffed grouse in the woods. And they call Do they it, do that at night though? Yes. Well I don't know, but that's definitely what that noise was because uh Okay. I have learned since our very first podcast that that's what that noise was because I knowing that ruffed grouse are more of a thing around here and it's something that I could probably uh, legitimately get a lot of time doing this fall. I've been doing some research on it and that is they Mm -hmm. like beat their wings like sometimes against a log or sometimes I guess just it just makes that noise when they beat their wings and we were hearing that Mm -hmm. all day long in our campsite and so if they're that thick there I found some public land that's pretty close to it where they're going to be everywhere and I know it wasn't the same bird we were hearing it all over the place so I'm pretty excited about that, um, but we just, you know. Hold took on, some though. Pants. I have to interject. Sure. I have to interject. Okay. That does not tie up the loose end of when we went, her- like, immediately after hearing that sound, hearing oh, that animal yeah. jump into the water, swim across, and get up on the other side. Yeah, there was a big something that splashed from our island onto the main area there. It was two different animals, I, mean, I think. I maintain that was a bear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, or it could have been a deer, too, but, like, I don't know. This sounds stupid to say, but the splash doesn't sound like a way a deer moved. Like, from what I remember of it, it sounded like it was, the splash sounded much more significant than an ambling than a deer would have. But, I don't know. Some mysteries are best left unsolved, I guess. It was, what, our sixth day in the woods and dark, and we were getting rained on. And (laughs) it's possible (laughs) that imaginations were running wild with us. But that other one was definitely that grouse that you made the attempt at. (laughs) (laughs) Came Um, back to taunt. Yes. Uh, So I heard that all around. That was the last time I went for a walk in the woods. Um, It was pretty cool. It was a nice little spot. I hadn't been out that way, so it was nice to know the get a little information about that. And again, getting boots on the ground is the best way to learn about what's around and about out that way. So that was it. What's the last wild game meal you had? Oh, uh, I had a piece of jerky for lunch. (laughs) Simple and straightforward. No, No, for a meal. That's a legit answer, man. If you want that to be the answer, (laughs) that's the answer. Straightforward. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's say for an actual meal, Right. What I did uh, not long ago, I, I don't think I talked about this. Did I tell you about that? Uh, Smoked out. Um, no, no, no. The top sirloin roast. Did I no. mention that yet? Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. So the top sirloin roast. We made. I can't remember what day I made this, but anyway, the top sirloin roast is in the hind quarter of a deer, and yeah. most like a lot of people that re, uh, refer to it as the football. If yep. you've ever, so th- this is a, for this is another valuable reason to butcher your own deer. You learn about these different cuts and what they're good for, 
mm-hmm. you know so the the top sirloin's an entire muscle group and i get and like i said it looks kind of like a football so it's a, and it's about the size of a football you know so it's like how do you cook that thing you know the way it should be so what i yes. did is I, I trimmed that up and i i gave a little olive oil rub and mm-hmm. then put on um uh, seasoning on it. You can use anything you want. I just use some sort of primary rub. And then I did a, uh, um, a reverse sear method on the grill. I just put one burner on the grill, yeah. which brings my grill up to like 275-ish, 250. And I, mm. and I took it and I put it in indirect heat and I just let it sit there or cook for, I don't know, it was a couple hours. Let me different whoever you grill. You just have to keep checking it with that meat thermometer. Yeah. And I let it get up to like... Right? Yeah, I let it get up to like 115, pull it off, you know, put it on a plate, cover it in tinfoil, right? Take your grill back, go back out to your grill, crank your grill as high as you can get it. Nice. You know, so I did it like, I don't know, like 600 degrees. And then I put it on like, yeah, like two minutes per side, just kind of kept rolling it, you know, to get a good char on the outside, you know? Yep. And brought that back in, let it rest for a couple minutes, sliced it down, it's like pink red all the way out to the edges except for like that good solid like yeah. meat crust that you're looking for mm, and it was just crust. <laughs> that yeah. sounds amazing <laughs> it, dude it was, it, it was fantastic like ashley my wife she's like this is the best roast you've ever made nice like i mean so i mean you could if you're a fan of like a sirloin steak from beef just think of this like the entire thing like a football sized steak <laughs> that sounds <laughs> you know? awesome so yeah, super simple preparation, but you know, if you take your deer into the processor, like you're rarely going to see that cut unless you ask for it specifically. So it's yeah. like, it, you know, you want to do things like that, you got to butcher yourself. So, yep, we've advocated that for sure before. Definitely. Butcher yourself for sure. <laughs> and that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds so delicious, man. I've heard a lot about that it reverse was. sear. I've not uh I've done it once on a steak. Um so I'm going to definitely dabble with that for sure. Um, I do it with a lot of things now. Like any of my thicker cuts, I'm yep. like beef steaks or like those roasts. Um, I have another one of those uh, uh, sirloin, top sirloins, and it's going to get made up the same way. It is, it's pretty awesome. And it's it's pretty foolproof as long as you have a meat thermometer to keep checking it. So Nice. Cool. We just did an old-fashioned fish fry when I was up at the lake doing some work this last weekend. Had some nice cold water left over from ice fishing in the freezer. Just did the old beer batter, uh, tossed them in the oil, and had a nice old fish fry. Nothing spectacular, nothing uh, fancy, but classic. So sometimes I did get, that the other day too, actually. Yeah, <laughs> just throw some fish. Well, I was able to get. Well, we took my boy out. You know, I had. Wanted to try some stuff on the boat, and mm-hmm. I had it running. I did, so I had installed the tachometer. So I took him out fishing, and we boated a few walleyes and a smallmouth that brought home and ate. And like my son, if you do not take the cheeks out of the walleyes, he gets like, mad, huh? You're in big trouble. <laughs> oh, he gets mad because that is that's his that's his pieces that he wants. He gets the cheeks. And all, he got all cocky because like he caught the first walleye. And like I took a picture of him, and then like he didn't want to fish anymore. He just played in the middle <laughs> bucket, or like played at the live well with the fish, you know. And like, 
I'd, I'd be in the back of the boat and I'm like, Logan, open up the live well. And he'd open it up and I'd throw a fish in there and like, ooh, another fish to play with. So yep. they're like, they're six years old at the, you know, keep them occupied. You yep. Know? You got it. <laughs> we went through all our snacks and that was supposed to last a whole day and about an hour and a half. Yep. You know, that type of deal. <laughs> he got the first one and he's like, drop the mic. I'm done. Yep. <laughs> well, yep, got did what cocky. I came here to do. What's next? Fish and dad to start. Yep. Yep. Well, awesome. So that sounds cool, man. We got to get out fishing soon. I haven't done it like I need to this year. It was a slow, cold, wet spring. So yeah, I haven't been out. Do you have a boat at the cabin? Yeah, we've got a like just a fishing boat with a clamp on outboard. Um, I was going to send you a thing I saw on the interwebs that would have been close to our conversation we had here tonight and it showed like this old like 1982 uh like outboard like motorboat yeah and it said if you can't catch them in this this won't help and it's like the sparkly bass boat and all this stuff like that so it's exactly the same all right so we've got well, one of those I'm old asking, 80s is it, is it boats. i should pull my boat up no we've got one of those old down. 80s boats and we've back trolled the pontoon all over that lake too it's perfect to like oh hit okay. that motor and just like the lowest reverse and just hang a spinner oh, over yeah. the side and you can take the ladies on a cruise and still uh, on a nice evening ride and still be trolling the whole time. Yeah. And the pontoon will all be together. So that, that works really well. I don't need to pull a boat up though. No, no, we've got two boats. And if we want to take the boys out at some point, we can take that fishing boat too. Perfect. So, all right. Well, as always do your research Get involved. There's all sorts of different uh, associations to be a part of and all sorts of different places to do your research. Uh, You know, to name a few, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, (laughs) which I, by the way, am excited for. Minnesota is expanding its elk hunt this year, and I know it's the longest shot of all time, but I'm putting my $4 down to try and draw one of those tags for sure. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So, you know, get involved there. What North American Wild Turkey Federation, um, Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited. Uh, I'm sure there are some that are associated with fishing that I'm also not coming to mind <laughs> right now. Um, but there's a ton of them out there. Uh, become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I'm going to just say you should do that because uh, they advocate for public lands management and wildlife management in a way that is... Uh, disruptive to the way that the people's voice has been able to influence that in the past. So they're outstanding. We're both members. Miller's more active than me, but I am a member. So get involved. Uh, Thank you to Craig Minowa and Cloud Cult for letting us use the song Running With The Wolves as the intro and outro to our program. And uh, sharpen your teeth, dig deep, get out there. Cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running